Hello and welcome to Ordinary Lives Takeaways from a Pandemic, the podcast, a podcast designed to explore changes that we've made to our lives during the course of the pandemic and the varying ways and degrees to which our lives have changed. This is one in a series of international interviews to give us some different perspectives from around the globe. And today I'm speaking to Dr. James in Canada. Hi, James. Hi, good evening. So we've got a bit of a time difference because it's it's we're just before six um, early March over here, but I think it's around midday. You said over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not um, quite in the afternoon yet. <laughs> so um, whereabouts in Canada are you based, James? I'm based in Saskatchewan, which is a province on the west side. It goes British Columbia, Alberta, then Saskatchewan. The province is the size of France. But has a population. Oh wow! Has a population of only one point one five million. Okay, um, so I don't know how much um, you can you can say about the work that you do, but you are a doctor. And just to introduce you a bit further, um, you're the dad of Jade, who was interviewed earlier on in the series, um, and she's actually volunteered you for this. Um, <laughs> so not sure how you feel about this, but you've showed up, so that's a good sign. I have no problems with Jade volunteering. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a paediatrician. I've been a paediatrician for 30 years, and I'm a rural paediatrician. Saskatchewan has two major conurbations, each with about 300,000, and then some smaller conurbations. And then it has about a quarter of a million people spread out in the, an area the size of France. Conurbations, that's not a word that I know or I'm aware of. Can you explain to us what that is? Well, in the UK, they'd be sort of halfway between villages and towns. Um, they're, okay. sort of, they're not large enough to have anything but family doctor-run hospitals. So we have two large cities, about three small towns which do have some paediatricians. Then there aren't any paediatricians anywhere else. So I'm actually a mobile paediatrician. I go to several different places to improve care in more rural communities. So I do a lot of kilometres. In that case, I can see why she might have thought that you'd have an interesting perspective, because it sounds like you might be moving around quite a lot, which I would imagine, I mean, imagine apart from the fact, apart from the nature of the work that you're doing, it has been significantly affected by the pandemic, Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, I do about 3,000 miles a month. But a lot of clinics for a period of time shut down. So we had to go virtual, which can be very okay. difficult. I know the UK has done a lot of virtual consultations and every warehouse. There are different kettle of fish when you can't actually listen to a chest or put your hands on a abdomen. But it's actually quite surprising how much can be sorted out over the phone. And then you have yeah. to somehow. Sorry to interrupt. You then have to somehow see the other patients. Yeah, it's interesting because um, I interviewed a friend who's a GP earlier in the series based in the UK, and she was saying about that difference in terms of, like you say, not being able to feel. So those kind of practical concerns um, that as laymen, we wouldn't necessarily realise or think about at all. Um, but presumably there, there has been some kind of um, online system or, like you say, virtual ways of speaking to patients and um, keeping patients up to date as well. Yeah, I think, I, I don't think this is unique to Canada and I'm in the UK. If you didn't have COVID, 
some elements of care have not been as good as they would be normally. Um, a lot of the services that need in-person contact were put on hold for months on end. Um, so it has caused significant problems um, in terms of patient care. And one of the best ways you can see that in the UK is that the waiting lists of just getting out of control through nobody's mm. fault. Mm. And is that something, do you think, as a time of kind of pandemic, because we're, as I say, we're in March now, so we're almost a year on, is it something that you think has developed over that period? Do you think you have become more, what, adapted more to the situation and systems have been put in place in order to manage those challenges? Uh, yes and no. I think the problem is, is that this is a new experience and people have been changing the rules as knowledge has come about. And that has been looked on poorly by some people and used as a tool to say, well, the rules, even the professionals don't know what they're doing. I, the rules have had to change as the pandemic's developed, hence why every country's done it slightly differently. And every country has been criticised for what they've done mm -hmm. by people who are not experts. Mm -hmm. And I think this is something that's come up. I think um, we're kind of living in an era as well where with social media, a lot of people do have an opinion and we're all kind of giving our opinions on social, or, well, I say all of us, but I think it is a climate where a lot of opinions are being given and shared um, quite quickly on social media. Um, so I think possibly that's kind of mixed into what you said there. Um, in terms of your life more widely, has the pandemic affected and has COVID affected um, your day-to-day -day life in other areas or aspects that you can think of? Um, yes. There are, there are some advantages of the modern world because, as you know, Jade is in the UK and I also have another child and a grandchild in the UK. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen them since February last year. However, mm -hmm. the modern era means that we can FaceTime them. And we can see them, whereas mm -hmm. go back 20, 30 years, no, you wouldn't have seen anything. You might have got a letter. So th there's a positive to being able to communicate by social media, but there's a lot of people that have made it into a negative. Um, I think the person that's probably hit hardest is my four-year-old son, whose birthday is today. He's five today. Oh, happy birthday. And my wife, because... Because we have followed the rules to the letter. We haven't actually been in a supermarket now for a year. We've had our food delivered. We, ha mm -hmm. we haven't been in a pub. We haven't been in a restaurant, even though they are partially open here. Mm -hmm. Largely pr to protect me because of the job I do. Mm -hmm. um, and so he will start school in September, but he missed out again to protect me. And he has been brilliant. I'm sorry, he wears a mask better than most adults wear a mask. <laughs> I, it's not exactly hard, and I don't understand why the adults haven't been able to achieve it. I mean, my favourite was the report saying that there is a new scientific study that clearly demonstrates that the nose links to the lungs because people seem to think they only had to cover their mouth with their mask. And I, yeah, it's... it's a small price to pay. Yeah, it's a strange, it's a strange phenomenon. It's strange that, yeah, if people are wearing masks and not, not thinking to cover their noses. It's certainly something that you notice and you think, 
why why are you not wearing it <laughs> in the in the correct way but I think I've had conversations with friends as well and obviously you have a different perspective with your kind of very specialist knowledge but my friend was saying how she thinks she doesn't necessarily wear, wear her mask in a is it clinically correct or approved way in the sense that she'll kind of take it down um or kind of not wash her hands before she touches it for example so um I suppose again for kind of laymen people who aren't medics people who don't have medical knowledge um it's getting used to a situation so at a basic level yes you can take on board wearing it and covering the nose and the mouth as well um but there's kind of a lot of different things that it provokes thought of and things that we don't necessarily know about um that we're kind of trying to educate ourselves on still even now as we go along um in terms of those restrictions, I mean, presumably when you say about what mask wearing, you're referring to kind of in stores and in supermarkets and things over there. Yes. Yeah. They, that is not, it's that, not. People aren't wearing masks outside in general. Um, some of the smaller towns where the high streets are busy, they you have to wear the mask on the streets as well. And people are. Um, but it's, it's, it's any shop and they've limited the numbers of people that can go in a shop and everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and with your kind of perspective having that kind of um contrast and comparison with the uk having like you say two children here and a, a grandchild as well um are you anywhere aware of any kind of um major kind of differences or differences in perspective that that um can be considered between the uk and canada well we're or in terms of the restrictions either we're very lucky we have space I mean, the whole of Canada is, I believe it's 43 times the size of the UK with half the population. But as I say, Saskatchewan, where I live, is the size of France with 1.15 mm-hmm. million people. Um, so you can't cough on your neighbour. I think... And and that's why you say you kind of the reason why people in these smaller towns are wearing the masks in the street because they're more densely populated, so there is less space, and therefore it makes wearing the mask outside necessary. Yeah, it's more of the the um, tourists, small towns than mm-hmm. that. But as I say, okay. is that in the shops and everything else? But once you there is space here to be able to be away from somebody and not feel at risk. Mm-hmm. Helped. Um, we're lucky to also have a nice garden, and we've spent the whole summer out there. <laughs> um, I suppose that feeds quite nicely into some other questions that I was hoping to ask you. Um, I mean, I suppose I would generally assume that Canada um, is not hugely different culturally from the UK. That would be the assumption that would make, not to say there aren't kind of differences. And as you say, um, geographically in terms of the space that's quite interesting I think population density is something that's come up in several different conversations about differences in terms of the way people have responded um, and the restrictions in place um, but at an individual or kind of personal level have you had any major takeaway or lesson or kind of significant reflection through the period of the pandemic? I think I think the pandemic's brought out the best and the worst of people to be honest. Um, I think Canadians are more likely to follow rules, but even then, a lot of the problems we've had are people not following the rules. And then if the rules are tightened up, those same people will still not follow the rules, and the people that were following the rules, their freedoms and life just get worse. Yeah, mm. they were following them, if you see what I mean. And so I, I think 
the density of population really does decide how badly the rules affect you. And when you say Canadians are more likely to follow the rules, do you mean in comparison to the UK citizens? Yes, definitely. Okay. Can I ask why you say that? Canadians are very polite and very much do follow rules better than the British do. But historically, have we not been considered as a fairly polite nation? I mean, I I tend to agree. I, I mean... It, it's funny experiences that I've had out in the streets recently I think when you kind of move out of people's way or you leave space and things like that and people not actually acknowledging it or even saying thank you especially um, I mean when you're living in kind of wealthier more calm quiet um, areas I find it quite surprising that that doesn't happen but I, I, find, I still find it interesting that you say that because I think surely historically we have been considered quite a polite nation but we're not always the most compliant nation, the British. Okay. And this is interesting. And I think people don't like being told what to do. I think that's true. Yeah. But. But I, yeah, it's interesting that you say you think Canadians are not like that. I don't have the comparison. I've never been to Canada. Um, I don't have any experience of Canada, so I don't have. Um, anything yep. like that perspective but um, that's it's quite interesting that you say that yeah I that's I most people have been following the restrictions some people haven't but most people okay. do you see any difference I mean as you say I think if you're kind of in a more rural area um, between the cities the Canadian cities and the like you say more rural areas yeah I mean the the big advantage we've got is space. It's space. It's a massive advantage when you're trying to stop airborne transmission and everything else. Space is the advantage. I mean, <coughs> if you look at the statistics, um, we Canada has done well and Saskatchewan has done better than Canada. And I would put a lot of that down to space. Okay. Um, and your your kind of summary or your kind of lesson was that you felt that the pandemic has brought out the best and the worst in people. Um, I think that's also, yeah, something that's sort of come up in various conversations that I've had. And I think there may, may well be some truth in it. Um, the last question was a bit more lighthearted. Um, and it was, have you had any sort of favourite takeaway food or has there any been any particular dish that you've been enjoying over the course of the pandemic with people doing a lot more cooking at home and potentially ordering ordering food home? You've mentioned you've avoided the supermarkets, you've managed to successfully avoid the supermarkets. Has there been any food that you've indulged in particularly over the course of the pandemic or has there been anything that's become a sort of favourite dish? Well, my son particularly likes barbecue chicken pizza and bizarre likes food as well. Um, Oh, wow. And the main drive through here is somewhere called Tim Hortons, um, which does thick donuts and cookies and bagels and stuff. Um, okay. And the other. This definitely sounds a lot more North American than anything oh, no, I'm used to. Oh, no, purely Canadian, this one. Um, and okay. the, the other one is Dairy Queen, which is from America which got the right recipe for vanilla ice cream. 
and I'm always very grateful that when my son says he'd quite like one because I'm, I try not to be the one who suggests it. <laughs> <laughs> That's your guess yeah. out. It's like it was an idea. Okay, I see. take out <laughs> ice cream. Even if it's minus 40, I will quite happily have an ice cream. Oh, that's true. Actually, interesting point. The fact that, yeah, like, I suppose you have much colder climbs over there, but you're still you're still indulging in ice cream. Oh, interesting. yeah, absolutely. You cannot beat ice cream. There's two requirements in life. One is a cup of tea and two is an ice cream. Uh, and can you still get um, English breakfast tea over there? Sorry, go on. Can you still get your English breakfast tea over there to go with oh, your yes. ice cream? Yes, I have a I have a cup here with tea leaves in it at, as I'm speaking to you. <laughs> so you haven't completely uh, you haven't completely left all of your British habits well, or your British traits behind well, I confess you. Yes, I got my tea habit from living in Africa. I didn't get it from the UK. I just have kept my right, childhood. Okay. So it sounds like you've lived quite a rich life there. Oh, well, we we my father was with the embassy out there and used to I learned to drink black tea out there and it's stuck with me ever since I love a cup of tea I must have I can constantly have one at least five to ten mugs a day I think that's another thing working from home a lot of people have found themselves drinking more and more tea as well well perhaps I'm just speaking for myself I thought, but I thought it was more um, and more wine to be honest but anyway Oh yeah, no, I'm no, I'm much more sensible. I'm not drinking. I'm not indulging in that much wine. Yeah. <laughs> um, listen, James, thank you so much. I really appreciate you giving your time. It's nice to have a perspective from. I did do an interview with an American friend um, some weeks ago, but it's nice to have a perspective from another country, and especially someone who's doing a very specific vocation, which relates quite strongly to the pandemic. So, thank you for sharing your perspective. You're on more that. than welcome. <laughs> And uh, it's nice to yeah meet Jade's dad, um, particularly since she's actually a friend of my sister. So the relation gets more and more distant. But um, it was nice of her to to suggest you and of you to commit to this. So I have you. one thing to add to any of your listeners. Okay, go on. Whatever vaccine you're offered, take it, take it, take it, take it. I. The weight That's... that has come off my shoulders from being vaccinated, it wasn't a worry about me catching it. It was a worry about me giving it to somebody else. So if you aren't going to do it for yourself because you're not going to get COVID, you're not going to die, do it for somebody else so that you don't give it to them. It doesn't matter which one you get offered, you take it and you feel better. Thank you. That's a really nice note to end on. And um, I hope my mum's listening because I know that she's she's had this conversation. So um, thank you for adding that at the That's end. Me. I just, I'm sorry. They That was the best bit that happened. The, <clears throat> the work to create the vaccine and start distributing it. We have to get it to the whole world. This is a global problem. We will not sort it out with just vaccinating our own countries. I feel like you need a platform a lot bigger than this podcast, no, to be right. honest. Don't worry. No one... <laughs> or a soapbox. <laughs> I, I know this from living. And I mean that in the best I'll possible give you terms. An I lived in the Caribbean with Jade, and our island vaccinated against chickenpox. And we didn't have any local chickenpox because we vaccinated. We could never stop vaccinating because at least three or four times a year, I would see a child with chickenpox 
they'd come on holiday from the UK where they weren't vaccinating against chickenpox. So it's, you cannot limit it to where you are. We are an international world now. We travel. The world travels. Mm. Get mm. that vaccine. Get it around the world. Get it to every country. That's my thought. Mm. Mm. I mean, it, yeah, I think it, yeah, it has been a time in, in that way. It has, you know, you look across the world and you think, oh, we're all focused on our situations. But, um, yeah, it is something, like you say, we're all dealing with. Um, and yeah, I think, I suppose, ironically, for any of us who have been in a position and been lucky enough to travel, as many of us have, um, that's been one of the major complaints as well, not being able to move around and travel. Um, I don't know, I'm sensing something of an irony, but I'm not particularly articulating it well. Um, but okay, that's interesting. Thank you. Um, I feel like if I was more knowledgeable um, or more educated in this particular area, I would be able to have a much more interesting conversation with you but I really appreciate your thoughts that you've given because I think it's obviously um as I say you're giving your perspective as a practitioner in a sense which is I think really valuable so you're thank welcome. you for that again 